You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and today is day 50 of us staying inside to stop the spread of coronavirus. And guys, I can't believe it. 50 days. I've stayed in this house for 50 days. I mean, I don't want to brag, but last night at 7 p.m., I went out on my balcony and everyone was clapping for me. It was, it was really humbling. Oh, and today is also Cinco de Mayo. And if you're trying to celebrate at home, here's your quarantine Cinco de Mayo tip of the day. Any bread can be tortilla if you just use a hammer. So have fun celebrating Cinco de Mayo today, but don't forget, you may be at home, but guac is still extra. All right, on tonight's episode, we look at the war on masks, why you might not want to drive in Georgia, and why coronavirus has given seagulls a taste for blood. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. You know, the world may seem like a dark place right now, but just like your mom opening the curtains to wake you up for church, we're about to blast you with a little ray of sunshine. Okay, first up, being a teenager in the age of corona is definitely tough. You're stuck at home with your parents, you can't go to prom, and your dad gave you a haircut with the same clippers he uses on his back hair. But here's a ray of sunshine for teenagers in Georgia. Because of the pandemic, the state has now decided to issue driver's licenses without requiring a driving test. And that is a crazy idea. I mean, think about it. The only driving practice that kids get right now is from what, video games? So they're gonna get behind the wheel like, okay, so which of these pedals shoots the turtle shells? Basically, it's now up to parents to decide whether their teens can get a license or not. And look, if Georgia's gonna be giving people that power, they may as well go all the way. Just let people make their own driver's license at home too, like the actual photo, because that would be dope. You could add a filter, face tune it, finally have a driver's license where you look sexy. That would be a ton better than that filter the DMV uses right now. Makes everyone look like they've already been busted for drunk driving. So that's Georgia. They opened up earlier than any other state, and now they're giving driver's licenses to people without a road test. It's all part of their new state motto. Welcome to Georgia. We're done giving a shit. In other news, a British man has decided to beat the quarantine blues by giving himself one tattoo every day during the lockdown. Yeah, Chris Woodhead, a 33-year-old tattoo artist, has now added images of a butterfly, a tiger, and a clown, as well as the words, when will it end on the sole of his foot. Basically, this guy started quarantine as 2005 Adam Levine, and he's gonna finish it as 2019 Adam Levine. And I guess this is just what white people end up doing when the sourdough starter runs out. But this is a major commitment to make. In fact, this guy says that he's been in lockdown for so long that he's already running out of room. Although I see two nipples that are wide open. And finally, we've seen many stories of how nature is thriving as humans are forced to stay indoors. But now, thanks to the shutdowns, animals are also rediscovering the circle of life. Like in Rome, seagulls, who used to eat trash that people left behind, are now hunting down rats and pigeons for food. And I didn't even know that seagulls could be this vicious. Like, does every bird have a dark side? Because I'm not ready. I'm not ready to watch Big Bird get so hungry that he murders Elmo and eats his flesh. And rats, I can understand. 
But pigeons? Whew. The next Secret Life of Pets movie is gonna be super dark. And you know what's crazy is that one month ago, just one month ago, seagulls were flying next to pigeons. Like, hello, neighbor. And now because of coronavirus, they're like, I will eat your ass. All right, that's it for the sunshine. Let's get straight to the headlines. Let's kick the headlines off with some not nice news. Although our efforts to stop the spread of the virus by staying home have helped a lot, we're now learning that opening up too soon might come at a big cost. As much of America wrestles to reopen, the New York Times obtaining a preliminary analysis about what could happen if social distancing rules are relaxed. The report provided to FEMA shows the number of Americans dying every day from the coronavirus could nearly double by June 1st, 3,000 a day, and cases could soar from 25,000 to 200,000 a day. A University of Washington model has raised its projected death toll to more than 134,000 thousand by August. That's nearly double the estimate from less than a week ago, largely because more Americans are leaving their homes. Yeah, that's right. Experts are warning that relaxing social distancing without having tracing and testing programs in place means that a lot more people could die. And did you hear those numbers? 3,000 deaths a day, 134,000 deaths by August. Those numbers are even more terrifying than the ones in your child's math homework that you have no idea how to do. I feel like every day this story develops, it makes it a worse story for us to tell to our grandkids. And what happened when social distancing was proving effective, Grandpa? Well, Dan, we decided to f*** it all up by going to the beach because we wanted some ice cream. I get it, man. It is so hard to stay inside right now because the weather is amazing out there. It's almost like the sun is trying to lure us out so coronavirus can get us. And I'm not gonna lie, guys. I've never trusted the sun. Like, it's there during the day, but then at night, it's gone. Where'd you go, huh? Meeting up with corona to plot our downfall? I'm onto you, you sunny bastard. And as if that wasn't a grim enough prediction, we're now learning that while we've been trapped indoors, coronavirus has been going to the gym. New this morning, scientists have discovered a mutant coronavirus strain that they say is more contagious than COVID-19. A study led by the Los Alamos National Lab says the new strain appeared in Europe in February and quickly spread to the eastern U.S. Now, once it's out, it becomes the dominant strain, and that makes it more contagious than the original version that was traced back to Wuhan, China. The report says the mutation is in the spikes on the outside of the coronavirus. Researchers say it could make treatments more difficult to develop and could reinforce people who survived the earlier strain. Oh, come on, man. You know what? This sucks. The coronavirus might be mutating and not in a cool Ninja Turtle kind of way where it just wants to eat pizza and hit on reporters. No, it's becoming more deadly. And I guess we've learned yet another thing. Coronavirus is like an annoying college student. It got worse when it went to Europe. Sorry, guys, I can only eat baguettes now. Uh, And if you'll excuse me, I have to pop to the loo. And look, if the virus can mutate to get worse, then us humans, we've got no choice, man. We're gonna have to mutate to fight back. I think we can do it if we just focus. Come on, Trevor, mutate, 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 mutate. Huh. I guess nothing happened. Now, If America is ever going to get the coronavirus under control, antibody testing seems like the best way to do it. 
because that can tell us where the virus has been, who might now be immune, and how you can track the movements of the disease. Unfortunately, antibody testing has also hit a bit of a snag. Today, the FDA put the brakes on antibody tests. Roughly 200 hit the market in recent weeks amid few restrictions. Now the agency says guardrails are needed, writing in part, we unfortunately see unscrupulous actors marketing fraudulent test kits to take advantage of Americans. So far, the FDA has only granted emergency authorization to 12 antibody tests. The makers of the rest will have to apply within 10 days, showing their positive readings are 90% accurate and negative readings 95%. Yep, that's right. In an attempt to boost testing in the US, the FDA basically approved anybody who claimed they had an antibody test. And then it turned out that many of those tests were actually trash. And that's way worse than having no tests at all. Because now you think you could be immune when you're actually not. There are two things you need to be sure work. Antibody tests and bulletproof vests. Because you can't return those to the store can't be walking in like, yeah, I bought this last week and it totally doesn't work the way you said. And by the way, can you call 911? And if the antibody test can't tell you if you have antibodies, well, then you may as well just use the original anti-test. Anti, do I have coronavirus? No, baby. But you need to eat some more. Is my sister not feeding you? But guys, I think there's an easy solution here. If there's a test, that tells us which antibody test works. Why don't we just use that test to test for antibodies? <laughs> I mean, I'm no Dr. Fauci, but I think I cracked it. All right, that's it for the headlines. When we come back, we're gonna get into the great debate about wearing masks. Is it just a devious government plot to keep you alive? Or we'll find out after this. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Let's talk about masks. For a long time, masks have been a required accessory for superheroes or people just trying to get into an eyes wide shut orgy. By the way, the secret password is, I'm here for the orgy one. Now, when the coronavirus pandemic began, the CDC said people didn't need to wear masks unless they were showing symptoms. But a couple of weeks ago, they changed their mind after realizing that if everyone wore masks in public, it could stop people from spreading the disease. Also, they ran a series of tests and realized that, damn, people are ugly. Now, this all seems reasonable enough, right? Everyone just needs to wear a mask when you're gonna be outside around other people. But apparently, it's the furthest thing from simple. In the city of Stillwater, Oklahoma, an emergency proclamation requiring the use of face masks in stores and restaurants was amended after reports employees were being verbally abused and threatened with violence for trying to enforce the order. In Miami Beach, one park is now shut down after police issued more than 7,000 warnings over the weekend to people not wearing face masks. In Michigan, a security guard was shot after a dispute with a customer over a face mask. Police are also looking for this man, wiped his nose on a clerk's shirt when he was asked why he wasn't wearing a face covering. Whoa, why are people so angry? Forget a vaccine, scientists need to start working on a chill pill. Health officials are asking for us to cover our faces to protect ourselves, and everyone's acting like they have to get spayed and neutered. And the people who don't wear masks are ruining it for everyone. Like now, they had to close down that entire park in Miami. And Miami, you know I love you. But what are you doing? 
getting mad about being asked to cover your face? I've been to Miami. Nobody's looking at anybody's faces. But if we know that masks can help save lives and stop the spread of coronavirus, why are so many people refusing to wear masks when they go out in public? Well, one reason is that just honestly, they're not super comfortable. And one woman in Kentucky found a solution that totally didn't work. A Kentucky woman is going viral for the way she wears a mask. This woman was caught on camera shopping with a hole cut in the middle of her protective mask. She claims it made it, quote, easier to breathe since everyone is required to wear a mask while out. Of course, the CDC is advising that masks should cover both the nose and mouth completely. Okay, I'll be honest. I get where this woman is coming from. Wearing a mask can make it a little harder to breathe. But you know what can make it a lot harder to breathe? Coronavirus. Like, I think some people might be missing the point of the mask. It's not about conforming, it's about safety. Can you imagine if people brought this attitude to sex? Don't worry, babe. Of course I used a condom. Yeah, I just ripped the top off because it was really uncomfortable for my penis and it made it look like it was robbing a bank. But we're good. We're totally safe. Now, another reason people might not be wearing a mask is maybe they just don't have one. But remember, it doesn't have to be an actual medical mask right now to be effective, right? Anything that covers your nose and mouth can help. Although I will say, one guy in San Diego got a little too creative with his coverage. Outrage is growing over a man seen wearing a Ku Klux Klan hood inside of a Vons grocery store near San Diego. Other shoppers took pictures of the man seen Saturday in the city of Santee. Store clerks reportedly asked the man to remove the hood or leave. He finally took it off while he was in line, then paid for his items and left. Santee's mayor and others have condemned the incident. Detectives from the San Diego County Sheriff's Department are now investigating and will pursue any appropriate charges. Wow, wearing a clan hood as a face mask. That seems counterproductive, because, I mean, you might be protecting yourself from corona, but you're definitely gonna get a case of ass-whipping. And I know this guy thought he was being intimidating wearing a KKK mask in public, but I'm sorry, man, you're in a grocery store. I can't be scared of anyone buying Go-Gurts. Plus, I like how he only wore the hood. Yeah. So he was at home like, should I put the robe on as well? No, 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 no. I'm a moderate Klansman. Now, if you've been watching the protests going on around the country, it's clear that for some people, not wearing a mask is a matter of principle. Because apparently in America, you don't just have the right to bear arms, you also have the right to bear face. In Houston, you could get a $1,000 fine for not wearing a mask. That's led to at least one lawsuit and complaints of government overreach. These mandatory masks amount to government overreach. There is now a lawsuit over face mask requirements here in Harris County. There are many people who are unhappy with the order. Close to 150 demonstrators protested the mask mandate. I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want the government telling me what to do. You cannot allow the government to overreach the Constitution. Because if, if, you, if, you, if you allow that, and then what else is next? Only God knows. Hell yeah! I'm sick of the government telling us what to do. Telling us to wear masks. You got those red lights that tell us when we can drive. Stopping me from buying romaine lettuce because it has E. coli on it. Some of us like the taste of E. coli. It's called the refined palate. You know, I'll be honest. I've never understood why some people complain so much about a nanny state. 
Nannies are awesome. I mean, they let you take afternoon naps. They always have a little baggie of goldfish. They let you watch TV all day while they stare at their phone. In fact, when this is over, I wanna hire a nanny for myself. I wanna eat goldfish. So the question remains, why are so many Americans resistant to wearing a mask in public? I mean, maybe it's a comfort thing. Maybe it's an aversion to taking orders. Or maybe they just wanna show off that pasty quarantine skin. Another reason might be that their leaders are leading by example, only the wrong example. The CDC is advising the use of non-medical cloth face covering as an additional voluntary public health measure. So it's voluntary, you don't have to do it. I don't think I'm gonna be doing it. US Vice President Mike Pence now says he should have worn a mask during his visit to the renowned Mayo Clinic last week. Governor Eric Holcomb is apologizing this morning after a Facebook photo shows him taking a selfie with two people and not wearing a mask. This Ohio State representative says he won't be wearing a mask because of religious reasons. Republican Representative Nino Vitale says our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and one of those principles is that we are all created in the image and likeness of God, and that image is seen the most by our face. Okay, wow. That is a bold religious stance from that lawmaker. And I don't know if going out without a mask is a way to honor God, but it's definitely a way to meet him sooner. Like, where is he even getting this from? Because I've been to Sunday school. I don't remember this being in the Ten Commandments. I don't remember Moses coming down like, and commandment number nine, thou shalt not cover all of this. So look, I don't even understand how a public health issue like wearing a mask became so politicized. But it is weird to me, it is really weird to me that so many of these people who refuse to wear masks claim to be proud patriots who would do anything for their country. Because right now, America is at war with the coronavirus. And if you're going out in public without wearing a mask, well then, you're fighting for the other side. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I got the chance to speak to Thomas Piketty, a French economist whose analysis of economic inequality under capitalism has made him world famous. We talked about his new book, Capital and Ideology, and all of the ideas that affect the world under coronavirus right now. Thomas Piketty, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, or should I say, comment ça va? Comment ça va? Très bien, merci. <laughs> um, you are one of the economists in the world who many people regard as a rock star economist, not just because of your ideas, but because of how easily you break your ideas down. One of the biggest things you talk about is inequality in the world. Coronavirus is going to shake up the world in a big way. Either there's gonna be more inequality or things are gonna get fixed. Just looking at the world the way it is now, what do you think we're about to experience? Well, you know, I think this is one of these crises that we see in history that can really change uh, people's view about the world and how we should organize the economy. Because at this stage, what we see is actually a big uh, uh, increase in inequality. So, you know, if you have a lockdown in a big apartment or in a big house, you know, it's not the same that if you are in a very small apartment or if you are homeless. And more generally, you know, if you have a very uh, uh, low wage and very precarious uh, job uh, job status you know you, you you have to go out to find work to find money you know even though this can be very risky for you uh, you have 
lots of problems with, with people who still need to pay their rent. I think this is a kind of time period where there is a pressure, a strong pressure, you know, that can actually change the balance of, of power, which is also a, a balance of ideology. If we learned from the 2008 crisis, if there's anything we learned, it was that the people who were the quickest to bounce back weren't people at all. It was the big corporations and the big banks. The little people lost everything. They lost their houses. They lost the money that they had put into their houses. They lost the jobs. Many people even lost their investments, whether it was 401ks or whatever they had put aside to save money in life. We learned about what happened, but if this is another recession, if this is another crisis, what can be done to prevent that from happening again? Well, first, I think we have to use uh, public debt and money creation uh, for the people rather than just for banks. So basically, after 2008, you know, we used uh, money creation in order to save Wall Street, to save bankers. You know, it's probably better than if we didn't do anything, because in the 1930s, we let financial institutions go bankrupt one after the other, and this was not very good. So at least we've learned from this experience. But, you know, it's not enough to save bankers. You also want to save the planet. You also want to save the people. And I think with this crisis right now, uh, uh, people uh, are going to be asking for proof that we can also use you know, this power of money creation and the Federal Reserve in order to invest in people, you know, investing in hospitals, investing in public infrastructure, uh, increasing, you know, wages for, uh, you know, healthcare workers and all the, you know, low wage and middle wage people, which we see today, you know, are so necessary for, for our existence and, and our, our societies. In the longer run, of course, uh, we cannot just pay for everything with public debt and money creation. So we'll have to rebalance uh, our tax system. I think we need a wealth tax in the U.S. because an income tax, you know, is not enough to uh, to make the billionaire pay in proportion to their ability to pay. You know, very often you have billionaires like Warren Buffett who actually said that he was paying a lower income tax rate than his secretary. And this is because uh, many very high wealth billionaires uh, actually have a relatively small income because most of the uh, income to their wealth is being right. in a family holding or corporation. So taxing wealth in itself can make them contribute more in line with their ability to contribute. So the problem is not to punish Wealth is just to make people contribute, you know, in proportion to their ability to contribute. Now, whenever, whenever people bring up that idea, whenever it's Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or anyone for that matter who says we need a wealth tax, we need to look at different ways to tax the wealthiest of the wealthy, the billionaires and the corporations that have endless amounts of money and don't pay any taxes and find loopholes to not pay the taxes. The pushback inevitably becomes that you are discouraging innovation, you're discouraging the creation of wealth, and they say, oh, the money will move elsewhere. So if you were trying to convince a billionaire or if you were trying to convince a mega corporation to be contributing more and paying their fair share in tax, what would be in it for them? Why, why would you say to them, as Thomas, this is why you should pay more as a billionaire, this is why you should be paying more as a corporation? Well, you know, what, what I would say is that in the past three decades in America, you know, we've seen a lot more billionaires, but we've seen a lot less growth. And so in the end, you know, the idea that you get prosperity out of inequality just didn't work out. 
So, you know, of course, you need to pay them well when they are successful, but you don't need to, you know, you don't need to have people have 10 billion, 100 billion, you know, where, where are we going to stop? So the evidence that we have, again, is that the real source of economic prosperity is a, a moderate level of inequality, you know, reasonable level of inequality, and education, education, uh, public health, and relative equality in access to education and health. This is what worked historically. This is the way we got our highest growth rate in history. And when we started uh, uh, sort of investing in billionaire rather than investing in, a, you know, in education and health, in fact, we've had a growth slowdown. And the past three decades, you know, uh, have, have not been uh, decades of, of prosperity uh, for, for America. So at some point, you know, the, the theoretical discourse that we could have more growth by having more billionaires could be true. But if you look at evidence, you know, it's just, it's just not working. It's not happening. It's, yeah, it's, it's not, not happening. happening. So what do you think is the worst case scenario then? If, if you live in a world where the inequality just keeps on growing, the rich get richer and then the poor get poorer, what do we inevitably get to? Well, to me, the worst scenario is that, you know, some skilled politicians, you know, like Donald Trump or, you know, Marine Le Pen in my country, in France, you know, will uh, use the frustration coming from income and wage stagnation and rising inequality in order to point out, you know, some uh, foreign workers or, you know, some people to blame. And you can always find people to blame. You know, in, in the U.S., you can find Mexico, China. In France, you know, we could find uh, Germany or, uh, or North African uh, immigrants. You know, you, you always, it's easy to find people to blame. And, and this is what really uh, worries me, is that if we don't change the discourse, if, and if we don't propose another economic model that is more equitable, more sustainable, then in effect, you know, we open the door for, you know, all this nationalist discourse. And, you know, if you, if you keep telling people that there's only one economic policy and that governments cannot uh, reduce inequality, government cannot do anything about redistribution, taxation, and that the only thing that governments can do is to control borders, then you should not be surprised that, you know, 10 or 20 years later, the entire political discussion is going to be about border control and controlling national identities. Right. So I think there can be conflicting effects of this pandemic. On the one hand, this is going to reinforce the legitimacy of hospitals and public services and, and in a way, more equality. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it could also reinforce, uh, you know, the fear of strangers and the, uh, the return to the borders of the, of the nation state. And which view is going to win, you know, depends also on all of us. This is a way, in the end, to pick the right trajectory or at least to put pressure on, you know, our politicians and our political system to, to, to go in the, in, the, in the right direction. Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, good luck in the pandemic, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the other side. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Au revoir. When we come back, I'll be talking to Amanda Stenberg, the star of the new Netflix limited series, The Eddie. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Today, I spoke to actress Amandla Stenberg, whose new Netflix series, The Eddie, premieres this Friday. Check it out. Amandla, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you. <laughs> before, we, before we talk about the new show that you're gonna be in, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, coronavirus, what you've been up to. It's been interesting seeing how different people live their lives, you know, or what they show you of their lives on social media. But 
it feels like you're very zen in this moment. You, like, I don't see many anxious videos from you. It feels very meditative. It, it, it seems like you're finding, you, you're just like, you're in a transcendent space right now. Am I right? Or is this just what you're showing us online? That's simply what I'm showing you online. That's definitely not accurate at all. Um, I'm trying to share resources online that feel kind of grounding and kind of zen just because I am having a lot of anxious moments. And one of the only ways that I've been able to deal with those anxious moments is by like finding new grounding practices. I am definitely spiraling, but, but I'm trying to, to learn how to like have better, better coping mechanisms. And that's been like a really cool, exciting thing. Yeah, you've always been somebody who's been all about coping mechanisms. Um, you know, I, I know you've done videos, almost like tutorials for people talking about meditation um, and how to like calm the mind. Is that something you're doing now? Is that something you're, 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 you're trying to help people do? Like, does it get does it get you through what's happening now? Because everyone talks about meditation, but that's when life is normal. I, I really wonder if meditation works like now. In general, I think I I just kind of feel like I have a lot of young people following me. And I think about the ways in which we use social media um, and how dependent we are on it and how, and how our realities are almost shaped more by like the virtual world that we traverse than like our tangible realities. And like, I, I think there's something to be said for like the levels of depression and anxiety that like my generation experience, like the, the levels of dissociation or just like having a difficult time coping with reality. And that could have a lot to do with just like the state of the world. Like things are really frustrating and like really you know disheartening sometimes but I feel like okay if if we are going to deal with things like this pandemic or or like feeling so disillusioned in our government like we have to come up with some sort of collecting healing tools that help us and and nourish us so we can keep going or keep believing in something more recently I, I did this uh, video for this 24-hour live stream called A Call to Unite, uh, Call to Unite, and um, people were contributing all kinds of stuff, and like Oprah was, like Deepak Chopra, and you know, all these brilliant people, Eckhart Tolle, and I was like, okay, well, if Eckhart Tolle is doing this live stream, he's gonna have like a lot more wisdom to share than I will, <laughs> and so I felt like the best way that I could apply myself was just by, um, by like providing some sort of calming or soothing moment. So I like did a violin cover of um, At Your Best, You Are Love. But, but I, I, I like how you just, you, you say that. You say there was Call to Unite. It was this huge coming together of people, just like you say, all different walks of life, trying to help people fight uh, COVID-19. And your participation, you, you, you really just throw it away, is I decided to play a violin cover because I saw the video online and for a lot of people, we saw the video and it looked like, I thought it was like a really well-performed joke. Like I was like, oh, this is cool. Like she, she's making it seem like she played the violin because like, you know, when did you learn how to play the violin? And like you played extremely well. Was this like a thing in your life or you just violin part-time? What, where did that come from? Uh, well, I started playing when I was like in the third grade. They offered free classes at my public school. Um, and I, I, when I was younger, I like trained very classically. Like I did the whole like Suzuki method and, and all of that. And then by the time I was like maybe 12 or so, I quit. And then a couple of years later, my dad actually uh, rediscovered 
while digging through his closet um, my grandfather's violin. And I, and I never got to know my grandfather very, very well. I mean, I never got to know him at all. Um, but um, yeah, it was like this powerful moment where I felt like I could connect to him through that instrument. And so that's actually kind of what spurred me to play again. But when I started playing again, I kind of like ditched the classical um, training that I had been doing. And I like learned how to improvise and like play by ear and just play whatever the hell I felt like playing. Um, and that's the way I've been playing since then. So I'm like not the most classically trained person, but like I just try to follow my intuition and like do stuff like, you know, Aaliyah covers. <laughs> so, so when you're not meditating and when you're not um, playing the violin and lending your voice to causes like Call to Unite or, you know, helping out with No Kid Hungry, which you've been involved with for years, even before coronavirus, um, you are a successful actor. I mean, you're out there, you're making movies, you're making TV shows, and I believe you have a new, is it, is it gonna be a limited series coming out on Netflix called The Eddie? It, it's, a really, it's a really special show. I mean, it, it brings together, you know, some of the people who worked on La La Land, and it's a musical show um, in and around the world of jazz. And, and you know, it, it seems like a great show, especially for now. I mean, we're at home, we need music, we want, we want to hang out and think about, you know, fun times when you can go out to places and listen to music. Um, but tell me a little bit about the story and, 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 and what's exciting you about this project. Sure. Um, it's about a struggling jazz club in Paris. Um, and just kind of about the family of those jazz musicians. And the character that I play is, is Julie. Uh, and she's this, like troubled <laughs> adolescent who uh, doesn't really have like a, an active or healthy relationship with her father, but she's sent to, to Paris to live with him where he is running this jazz club. Um, and you kind of see the journey between these two characters as they try to understand each other and become closer. And it's really difficult sometimes, but um, the show in general is, is about an ensemble of characters and and just kind of all of their experiences in, in in Paris you know there's like this very kind of whitewashed like Euro, Eurocentric white Eurocentric uh, concept of Paris and hopefully this show kind of um, portrays Paris in a way which is more accurate which is like a really multicultural place that is so influenced especially by like North African communities so that's kind of the center of the show and so it's about all of these people and just like the truth of their lives yeah well, now that i i feel like i would have watched it regardless for two reasons one because i mean i'm stuck in the house two because i know it's going to be great but now that i know you actually know music i'm going to watch it even more because i'm like yeah this this is basically a documentary now so uh i'm going to make sure to watch it it's going to be the eddie it's coming out this friday on netflix a limited series um, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time. Stay sane at home. Don't spiral. And uh, thanks for putting out the uh, cool videos. <laughs> thanks. Thank you so much, Amanda. Well, um, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please remember that the COVID pandemic has devastated communities around the world. But the International Medical Corps is helping those communities to rebuild and recover. And you can help them to help others. So please donate whatever you can. And if you'd like to support the response here in New York City specifically, then you can go to the NYC Healthcare Heroes and you can help those people who are providing care packages to our healthcare workers, hospitals, and temporary medical facilities. Until tomorrow, 
Stay safe out there, wash your hands, and remember, delete your calendar app. You don't need it anymore. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.